Lord, we thank you for this morning that we get to come together and to worship your name. Please prepare our hearts and minds uh, to be renewed by your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning, everybody. I'm Bill. I'm one of the elders here at Church Next Door. And uh, God's timing is perfectly sovereign. Uh, this was not the original weekend I was supposed to be preaching, but because of some things earlier uh, last month that got shifted around, I ended up scheduled for this Sunday, which was perfect because that allowed Scott to go uh, to Ohio um, and not have to worry about preparing a sermon this weekend. So all of that, God just kind of worked out perfectly, um, which is awesome. Today, we're going to be going through some adventures in missing the point. That's uh, what we're going to see a lot in this passage. Um, but we're going to start with a few things. Um, uh, and I'm going to tell you a little story. So in college, uh, I was talking with uh, an atheist that I had met out on the quad. And uh, um, he brought up to me a couple things in the gospel saying, hey, this timeline here doesn't seem to match with this timeline here. What do you think about that? My answer at the time was, so? Uh, <laughs> I don't really care. Um, but this was a, a genuine stumbling block for him. It tripped him up. And it's important that we know how to address those kinds of things so that we can clear the path, right? Um, the, the smoother the path we lead uh, to Jesus, the better. And so we're going to address a couple things that uh, some might argue are contradictions, and I'm going to show why it's very simply not. Um, and we're going to start with what Mark says in verse uh, 25. And it was the third hour when they crucified him. Third hour. Okay, cool. But John, if we go to that, all right, John says in verse 14, now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said, so this is Pilate speaking, he said to the Jews, behold your king. So Jesus is with Pilate, apparently at the sixth hour, but then later when he's crucified, it's now the third hour, three hours earlier? Well, no. Um, so we're going to start with John because uh, that's what happens first. John uh, usually gives time in the Roman time. So Romans start around midnight, right? counting their hours. So the sixth hour would be about 6 a.m. at sunrise for us. Mark tends to use the Jewish measurement of time, so starting at sunrise. So the third hour would be about 9 a.m., right, three hours later. So that's the, the distinction there, right? Um, and this is kind of why we have a global standard of time now, because dealing with this kind of thing can get kind of confusing. Um, Another thing to point out in Mark 15, verse 17, he says, And they clothed him in a purple cloak. Okay, cloak is purple. Gotcha. But if we go back to Matthew 27, verse 28, And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So which is it? Is it purple or scarlet? Well... If you've been on the internet in the last few years, you may have seen a picture of a particular dress. If that looks familiar to you, there was a huge controversy over what is the color of this dress. 
People got really heated over it. And there are two possibilities really going around. Uh, so those two possibilities are, right, on the left there, white and gold, and on the right, whatever the wrong answer was, because people don't know what colors are. <laughs> no, in all, like, in all honesty, it's kind of hard to tell, right? Um, and people got, you know, they were very convinced of whatever color that they thought it was. So, here's another picture. What color is that? <laughs> magenta. Okay. Yeah, that's not what I see. Um, but sure, all right? It's, it's one of those things that uh, if we're trying to get down to the point, it's some royal color, right? We're get, we might argue a little bit over what exactly that color is, right? Depending on your perspective. Um, but, all right, this is a royal robe that they have placed on Jesus to mock him as king of the Jews. And we see a whole bunch of mocking going on. Um, and it is just lots of examples of dramatic irony. Um, we're going to start with. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 and get a picture of who this is that they're mocking and see just how badly they mess this up. So in Revelation 1 and verse 12, John writes, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in full strength. This is the picture of Jesus. And this is their treatment of him in Mark 15. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is, the governor's headquarters. And they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed him in a purple cloak. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. Talk about missing the point, right? Uh, wow. Before them stands the King of Kings, the Lord of all creation, and this is how they treat him. I mean, I've put my foot in my mouth before, but nothing like that, hopefully. Uh, and it just continues on, one after another. Pilate also mocks him, calling him king of the Jews. We see this in John 19, right? Back to that verse 14 where he said, Behold your king. The crowd, they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? Right? And Pilate's got a double mockery going on here. Not only is he mocking Jesus, calling him king, and look what I can do to your king. Right? We're way more powerful than him. Um, he's standing before them, bloodied and beaten. 
But he's also mocking the Jews, mocking the chief priests, because he doesn't like them either, right? Basically saying, this is your king, right? Uh, look what I can do to your king, right? How I can lord it over you as well. Um, uh, and uh, in doing so, right, he kind of accomplishes his whole goal for this uh, scenario, right? He, in calling them the king of the Jews, the chief priests, Answer back, we have no king but Caesar. So, Pilate's just right won that fight in his mind um, because now the, the chief priest, the one stirring up the crowd, right, are now admitting Caesar is their ultimate authority um, and uh, right, satiated the peace. Right? Let's uh, move this on. So, all right, Pilate, all right, very shrewd leader. Um, but again, totally missing the point. Even the robbers on the cross with Jesus miss the point. And we see this in Luke um, at 23, that account. One of the criminals who was hanged uh, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. How blind do you have to be to be dying on a cross, mocking the guy dying on a cross next to you? Like, you're both in the same boat, dude. Uh, <laughs> except he didn't deserve it. You did. Uh, strangers walking by also mock him. We see this uh, in verses 29 and 30. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Let's take a look at what exactly Jesus said. In John 2, he says, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Jesus is in the process of fulfilling the prophecy that he gave. When he said, destroy this temple, he was talking about his body. And they are in the process of destroying it. And in three days, he's going to rise from the dead. So the very words they're using to mock him are the very thing that he's doing to save us all. Um, and not to be outdone, the priests and the scribes have their say. So starting in verse 31. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. He saved others. That is very true. He cannot save himself. Well, he chose not to save himself from this particular suffering. He chose to endure it for our sakes because we cannot save ourselves. So again, the very thing that the priests are mocking him for is the very reason we worship him. <laughs> wow. Uh, so we have been missing the point as a people for a long time. Um, we're going to go back few thousand years to Exodus 32 when they started missing the point after being uh, saved from Egypt. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, 
Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Moses was on the mountain for 40 days. So it's been less than 40 days. All right, it's been what, about a month, and they've totally forgotten everything that they just went through. All right? Not only did they seem to forget that God brought them out of Egypt, they're saying this man who brought us up out of Egypt, but now they're going back to their old ways of idolatry, and oh man, a month is just so long. Uh, can't even you know, remember what's going on for that long. So moving forward a few thousand years, how do we do with missing the point? I know I'm great at it, right? Uh, so at work, boss makes some decision that I think is a horrible idea, and I, we all get up in arms, and ah, right? Totally missing the point that it's really not that big of a deal, um, right? It's gonna be it's gonna be water under the bridge in like a month. Um, so why am I so frustrated about it, or? Why am I, you know, sitting on the couch watching some news clip that I, you know, is just going to make me frustrated, when in reality I should be putting my phone down, turning off the news for a second, and just go play with Joby, dance to some Christmas music, right? That's really what I should be doing with my time, um, instead of missing the point, right? What are we to be doing with our time? If we look at Philippians 4, it gives us an idea of how do we avoid missing the point? Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. That's how we avoid right, missing the point. We remind ourselves constantly of what is the point, what is important. What should we be spending our time focusing on? Right. Well, one of the ways we do that, let's think about some things that are good and honorable and worthy of praise, like what Christ has done for us on the cross. In doing so, he fulfills a whole bunch of prophecies along the way and uh, we're going to take a look at some of those in Psalm 22. Now, we're going to go through the whole psalm because it's beautiful. Um, but uh, with this, you regularly hear right, all of the, the Messianic prophecies, especially a lot of focus on Isaiah 53, which is a great passage. But don't hear as often Psalm 22, which is equally amazing. So we're going to take a look at that. So Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You'll note that in our passage for next week, Jesus quotes this. This is the title of the psalm, essentially. He's drawing their attention to it, letting them know this is what he's going through right now. So we get a mind, a picture into the mind of Christ in this time. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. 
To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. So here, in spite of Jesus' suffering, he is reminding them God is faithful. God can be trusted. Right? We've trusted him before, and he delivered. He will deliver again. Verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. How very true that is. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusted in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Sounds familiar. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me, and they have pierced my hands and feet. I, count, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So, centuries before right, crucifixion is even invented, right? Jesus describes here exactly what he's going through on the cross. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, and he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. For you comes my, from you comes my praise. In the great congregation, my vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise him, the Lord. May your hearts live forever. And we see that, right, that's what he provides for us. That we shall eat and be satisfied in him. And we seek him and praise him. We are rewarded with eternal life. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. So regardless of how they mock him, calling him king of the Jews, he really is the ultimate <laughs> king of kings. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. 
even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told to the Lord, uh, it shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. Wow. So, again, we remind ourselves what's the point. Again, Christ willingly went through this for our sakes that we could be clothed in the righteousness of God. He was mocked. He was crucified. We see in right, Mark verse 24, and they, uh, and they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots for them to decide what each should take. Again, all of this right, prophesied long before. I always think about how right, there's this silent 400 years between the Old Testament being finished, written, and Jesus showing up on the scene, and how important that is for us today. Right? That there can be no doubt that all of these prophecies were written well before Christ showed up. It was well established. Right? That no one can really claim that these were written after the fact right? to show that Jesus did all of these things. Now, uh, we see a whole bunch of different prophecies that he has fulfilled. Um, and one, let's start with uh, one back in Genesis. So in Genesis 3, in verse 15, the Lord God said to the serpent, right, jump into 15, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So a snake, so then they're long, they don't have any legs, so they're short, right? And that's where they're going to get you, is on the heel, right? So they get you on the heel, and then you use that very heel to crush them, right? Crush their head. So where was Christ crucified? Let's take a look. Golgotha, the place of the skull. Because the rock face looks like a skull, a head, so, right where uh, the Satan is trying to right, take Jesus out by bruising his heel, Jesus is in the process of crushing his head on a literal head. Sweet. Now, uh, if you're just a man, you don't really get to choose where you're crucified. But if you're God, you can kind of rub it in Satan's face. Right? And if you're God, right, you can do literally the impossible right, by fulfilling these many prophecies. And as a math teacher, I'm going to throw in a little math, of course. Um, so if you're doing research, 5% is usually the threshold to assume that something's not random. Right? So do a little research. Uh, here's what the, the average was uh, before I did something. Here's what the average was afterward. The chances of that uh, change happening... Um, randomly, let's say, is less than 5%, then you assume, sweet, what I did actually did something. Um, if right, it's bigger than 5%, then you assume, what I did did nothing. Um, uh, so 5% is usually that threshold. Now, if you want to be really precise, you use 1%, right? 1% chance that this happened randomly um, to assume that it wasn't actually random. Well, 
just fulfilling eight of the prophecies that Jesus did, you've got a one in 10 to the 17th power chance of that happening randomly. And if you take a look at all 300 uh, prophecies about the Messiah, 109 of them were about his first coming, fulfilling all of those, one in 10 to the 200th power. Okay. I did count all of them, um, mostly through copy-paste, because it's a lot of zeros. Uh, so what you see there is zero point, followed by 197 zeros and a one percent. Okay. Ridiculously tiny. The chances of that happening are so small that, uh, well, it's technically impossible, right? I mean, you'd think so, unless you're God, and then the chances are 100%. I said I'm going to do it. Here it is. And again, it has to be God, because a lot of these things are outside man's control. For example, the timing of Jesus' birth in Daniel 9. Can't choose when you're going to be born. Born in Bethlehem. You don't really get to choose where you're born in Micah 5. Uh, being born to the line of David in Isaiah 11. Again, you don't get to choose when and where you're born. You're just, you just show up, right? Unless you're God, and then you get to choose exactly when and where you're born. The price of his betrayal, right? You're going to be betrayed. You're going to tell the other people how much to pay for that. No, you don't get a say in that. Um, that was in Zechariah 11. Uh, the fact that you're going to die by crucifixion in Psalm 22 that we read. Don't usually get a say over how you get to die. Uh, that they would cast lots for your clothing while you're on the cross. Yeah, they're really not going to listen to you. You're dying on the cross. Hey, can you cast lots for my clothing? I really need this. No. <laughs> uh, they're using that very thing to mock him. Again, casting lots. They're asking God right, what they should do in this situation. How insulting is that, right? You are God, and they're asking you how to mock you. And yet, they did that. Uh, that no bones would be broken in Psalm 34. Again, Christ died before they broke their legs, so no bones were broken. That he would be pierced in Isaiah 53. Or that you'd be buried in a rich man's grave. You're dead. You don't get a say over what happens to you after you're dead. So, again, all of these things man has no control over, but God certainly does. And so the chances of this impossible thing happening must mean that he is God. What's the point? He's God. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, again, we are so good at missing the point that, right, it's totally obvious to. If you see, look in Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. It's plain to all who are willing to look and see, and yet we're really good at missing the point and turning away and looking at something else that's really shiny over here. So again, how do we not miss the point? 
And again, not to be outdone, let's take a look back at those scribes and Pharisees. Again, in verse 32, they said, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Did they have a chance to see before this? Let's take a look at all the times they were there and they saw and chose not to believe. All right, so in Matthew 9, Jesus healed a, a man who was mute from a demonic spirit. They were there. Blind and mute spirit, in Matthew 12, Jesus healed him. Again, they were there. They saw that happen. Mute and deaf, in Mark 9, right? Wow. Uh, withered hand on the Sabbath. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus healed a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. They got really cranky about right, him healing on the Sabbath and completely missed the point. They were there. And Luke 5, they drop a paralytic through the roof in front of Jesus. He says in verse 20, your sins are forgiven. And then that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. To get up, take your mat, go home. Totally missed the point. They were right there. They saw and willingly chose not to believe. Ah. So here we are. This, right, is Jesus speaking to Thomas. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We have a choice, right? We have not seen with our own eyes, but the evidence is all around us. It is clear that Jesus is God, that he chose to die in our place, right? and that we, miracle of miracles, right, get to be forgiven and spend eternity with him because of what he did. Let's not miss that point, right? That when we go out from here, we remember to keep our focus on what's really important, that we have a choice every day to get distracted or to think about whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, whatever is commendable. Think about such things. Share them with those who really need them because there's a lot that tries to distract us, to try and drag us down to beat us under. And we don't have to choose that path because of what Christ has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for what you have done for us, that you have died in our place, that we may enjoy eternal life with you. Thank you for choosing to stay on the cross Thank you for all that you have done for us, the many ways that we have been blessed, that we are fully satisfied in you. Help us to go out from here proclaiming your victory over death and the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen.